Welcome back to the WorkPants podcast. I'm your host, Ali Kalali. In this episode, I chat to Angus Stevens. He's the CEO and co-founder of AR and VR company, Start Beyond. He's also author of the novel, Viewer Discretion Advised. In this interview, Angus tells his career story and shares with us what it's like to work in the world of augmented and virtual reality. Let's get into it. Hello, I'm Angus Stevens. I'm CEO and co-founder of Start Beyond. We make VR and AR content, and that's just one aspect to my professional life. And so that's what the job title says, but it's certainly not all that I do. Okay, well, now I'm curious about the rest of of your work life. What are the other um, kind of ingredients you've got? Well, some of the other ingredients I've got, I mean, like, basically, I think it's really important that your work life is one facet of your creative life, but it doesn't necessarily have to be all of it. And so I always encourage the guys at work to have pet projects and to be able to look at stuff outside of their role, because I think it encourages whatever you do outside reinvigorates, and then it becomes a nice cross-pollination of the stuff that you're doing at work. And so for our designers, they'll go off and do some things and, and bring that pet project and, and it inspires the work that they're doing um, at, at Start Beyond. And like the developers will be off on the side building their own games and then concepts that they come up with that, they then bring back into the development process that we're doing within the, the projects that we're building at Start. And for me personally, I've just finished a, a novel um, and I just, prior to catching up with you today, had yeah. a meeting with the book cover designer and the publisher. And and so, yeah, so, I mean, that's one facet of what I do outside of this job. And yeah, I love it. And what can you tell, what can you tell us about the book? Well, it, hopefully it'll make you laugh, make you cry. It should be something that, you know, um, it, I wanted to, like, there was a book came out a few years ago called Ready Player One, and all of a sudden all these guys that I know were reading a book again. I hadn't seen them do that in bloody forever. And mm. it highlighted to me that there's a lot of men um, my age and younger and older actually would happily read if there was something that resonated with them. And so I thought, Bhagrat, I'm going to write a book that's the book that I wish I'd been able to read. And, um, yeah. And so it's called Viewer Discretion Advised. Mm. What was your reaction when you saw the proposed cover art today? How was it? How did that go? That was really interesting. Uh, it, um, the it was it was the first meeting with the designer, and the publisher is a guy who runs his own race and and is used to being um, you know the person who who pulls all the strings. And I always find it interesting if you run a company or your manager team, seeing how other people um, manage their teams and, and run their companies. And and I find it interesting, yeah, observing that. So the arc of the conversation was really me wanting to hear from the designer and gently navigate away from hearing what the bloke who runs the company thought because um, it was her opinion that I was more interested in. Mm. That's so exciting. That must have been, was it a bit of a pinch me moment looking at like that you work in AR and VR and then you've got this tangible, this thing becoming more and more tangible in front of you. That that must have been really exciting. Yeah, it is. It is. I'm, um, yeah, I'm really happy. I mean, I'm excited about it. I'm happy that it's happening. The, the launch of the book is happening in July 
of this year in perfect timing for Father's Day, which is all part of my whole plan of how I wanted it to play. So, yeah, it is. Mm. <laughs> That's really cool. I know a guy actually uh, who was out of reading for a long time and it was um, a man called Ove who got him back into reading. I don't know if you've come across that one. But, yeah, it's yeah, a lovely right. book. Yeah. Um, yeah so- isn't, that, isn't that the one? I think it's just been made into a film. They... I think Tom Hanks is doing the American version of it. Oh, is he? Yeah, yeah. It's just come out. And, and they called it A Man Called Otto. But And originally there was like a, I, I might be wrong, but if it's the story mm. that I think it is, then um, originally they, they'd done a European version of it and then they've got Tom Hanks doing it and it hasn't quite worked as well. Yeah, okay. But, I mean, you know, the, the book to film thing, it's a yeah. tricky part. And uh, like so it came up the other day about it, it being impossible to have everybody in the world like you. And as soon as you can accept that, you can move forward. And I feel like Tom Hanks is a great example. There are people out there who don't like the charming and lovely Tom Hanks, right? So if we can accept (laughs) that, we can accept that people don't love us. And if they don't love him as Otto, there we go. Proof. Yeah. 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 Um, Can you tell me um, about your first job, Angus? Oh, wow, man. We're diving back into the deep dark ages to come up with that <laughs> um I mean like my first first job I think was working uh yeah I think I was working for a local news agency and I had to get to the train station um at, like I had to go to the news agency and grab a pile of newspapers and then go to the train station and sell them to people before they got on the train and um, I think I'd make about $4.50 an hour if I was lucky, if it was a good day. Jeez, I did so not do that <laughs> job for long. <laughs> uh, was this the era of when you used to uh, top the papers? You'd take the, like you could cut the top label of them off and send them back and the news agency would only pay for the ones they sold? Yeah. That? Yeah. Yeah, 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 that's yep. right. News agency girl right here. Yep. Yeah, nice work. Yeah, <laughs> if you can get it for more than four fifty an hour, definitely. Yeah, yeah. And did you have? And I think I, I think I've actually just given myself a pay rise. I, in in all honesty, I think I made three dollars seventy. Whoa. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I think I did it for about three weeks and just went, "What the hell? This is crazy." I was like eleven or twelve. So yeah. Nice. Okay, and then. At 11 or 12 or, or even later, did um, the idea of a dream job ever form in your mind? When I was in high school, I wanted to be a musician um, and I was really into that. I really enjoyed that. I was really into my music and I had, I remember having the ambition of wanting to be, like the Rolling Stones had just put out the best 100 albums of the 80s. And I was like, okay, I'm going to be in the best 100 albums of the 90s. Oh, I love that. What was number one <laughs> of the 80s? Do you remember? Oh, I've got Tracy Chapman was right up there and mm. um, Prince was right up there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know if I can remember number one. Mm, that's something to puzzle yeah. for later. Very good. Yeah, yeah. Well, okay, they change and- it each year, but, yeah, anyways, yeah. So was there a specific instrument that you played? Oh, now it's just getting really embarrassing. Like, I don't. I mean, like, I, <laughs> I, was, I was in I was in a band called Stone Age Distress, 
Okay, you're um, going to hear the sound of typing now to see if I can find any trace of you. No, on you will not. You will not. Oh, no. I predate oh. the internet. Okay. That's how I am. Um, yeah, so Stone Age Distress, and I was the lead singer. Yeah. <laughs> what so um, style of music would you describe it as? Ernest? What genre? <laughs> I would say Ernest. It was Ernest. Ernest, okay. Which right. I think is called indie. Yeah. All right. Okay. <laughs> Like a little bit Travis kind of. Oh, God. No, hopefully not that wet. Um, All right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And so um, we're going to just leap forward in time now to today. Mm. Something that maybe resonates with people going through a bit of career disruption is that they sometimes stop and look around at where they are in their work and think, how did I get here? So, yeah. how, Angus, how did you get here? Ah, oh, look, there's there's probably three, like, career sort of clear moments and then a couple of personal. But um, I think how I got here was, yeah, it's a fun question to try and answer. Um, I, I certainly, well, very quickly, I certainly remember having a job when I was at uni and thinking, how did I get here? And that was working as a koala bear for the Wilderness Society. And I would put on my koala bear outfit and I would go off and collect money to save the koalas. And because the Wilderness Society was very um, very socialist in its background, everyone got paid the same amount. So whether you were the CEO or a koala, you would get paid, oh, I think from memory it was like 20 bucks an hour which was actually pretty good money and mm. I was into it. So, but the thing was that there was also a bunch of really stinky greens who like have worn the suit before me and those suits never got washed and that was so revolting. And oh. like you didn't want to turn up to a shift and see the guy who just came out of that koala suit because it would just creep you out for the rest of the day as you had to put it on. I had to have a bandana over my head so that the sweat of it wouldn't go in my eyes. And, um, yeah. But I also, the biggest thing that I learned from that job, aside from one day just going, oh, what am I doing in this suit, was um, that koala bears get propositioned a lot. Like there was like, I was asked to provide sexual favours and also receive them at a number of different locations around Sydney as a koala oh my bear. gosh. Yeah. And, um, and also that the areas that gave the most money were the areas that were the poorest. Mm. I remember being mm. in Liverpool and a whole bunch of folks who did not have two cents to their name would still say, oh, yeah, I love the koalas. I'll save the rainforest. And they'd give me five, ten bucks. And then I'd be in Double Bay. And um, it was like trying to get money out of, of blood out of stone. It mm. was really intense. So that was actually when I decided I'm not going to do this anymore because I just found it too heartbreaking being paid mm. 20 bucks an hour and then having people who I knew weren't all, you know, earning the same amount as me, um, giving money so that, you know, essentially my wage was coming from their donations mm. as much as anyone else's and I just didn't feel very good about it. So I pulled the pin on that. And you could be a CEO for 20 bucks an hour. So, like, why not just do that? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. And so that that was a bit of a moment of how did i end up here and then you you kind of reevaluated your goals and then uh yeah what what happened that led you to start beyond and the world of ar and vr tell me about that uh well i've always had an interest in being 
involved in creative pursuits and I really enjoy storytelling and story making and and all that sort of business and I was working in the film industry and um, you know making TV and a bit of reality docos all that sort of things and a main one who's a, a, a script writer um, and this was like sort of early 2000s said I think film's dead I think that online's the way to go but I'm not going to do it because I'm not I'm, I'm a script writer and, you know, I'm just going to live with watching this sort of industry slowly die. And up until that point, you know, I'd really been wanting to be a filmmaker. And and then I thought, well, hang on, I don't want to be part of something that's coming to the end of its life. I want to be part of something that's new. And so it was really early days. YouTube had barely been around and I made the leap across into online and digital and then um, had a really... Uh, creative and enjoyable time working in that field and and building out short form content and built out Hamish and Andy's YouTube channels and I worked at Austereo so we were doing dealing with all of those guys um so Carl and Jackie over there at the time you know met a whole bunch of artists created like behind the scenes content and and met a whole bunch of different folks really in its infancy and so we we got to create the rule book about what short form content was like and and we even did a ridiculously short film festival with Hamish and Andy and Jeffrey Rush was the judge and every short film could only be seven seconds long and we did that in uh you know 2010 something like that predating TikTok by however many years so it was a very fun time and it, and it was reflective of of this desire to be at the forefront of something and be exploring how it could work and how you could make stuff resonate with people and, and have people feel um and connect and yeah and so it's the kind of natural evolution of that that then I was working then um at Nova I'd, I'd moved from Australia over to Nova and rather than it just being about the online video side of things it was then actually heading up their whole digital department and um we had a team that was you know across the country building out entertainment content and so on and it was whilst I was there that a mate of mine um said oh look there's this meetup that I'm going to for virtual reality it's it's happening in this warehouse and this was like 2015 um you should come along and he and I have a tradition of having a two-person Christmas party where we always just hang out and and go and have a Christmas party and it's just him and me and so that was the event that we were going to do for the Christmas party and he said I think this VR thing is going to be a thing and I was like really and he's like yeah I, I really do and um yeah, sure enough, he he started a company called Start VR. Um, six months later, I quit Nova, jumped ship, and joined him at Start VR. And here we are in 2023. And he's subsequently moved on. He and I are still really, really good friends. Um, he, similar to me, but even more so, is continually looking at at the next thing. And so the idea of just being like he, he'd done what he wanted to do with the company. And and so, um, yeah. And so now Start VR is now called Start Beyond because we're making virtual and augmented reality and metaverse and all that sort of shenanigans. Um, but fundamentally at the core of it, it's about looking at ways of being able to take technology, not for the sake of technology, but for the sake of actually using it to help people see the world differently, to feel differently. Um, and there's so much technology out there that's just, I don't know, dubious. It's nice to actually look at ways of being able to use it 
for the benefit of others rather than just to perpetuate selling shit. Mm. And I think from a look at the website, one of the really obvious applications was the the first aid training. Um, yeah. It felt like yeah. it was just because can you imagine having only theory when it comes to first aid? I think that terrifies everybody who's who's an officer out there. But um, can you tell me a little bit about the those applications you feel are the ones that align with that idea of doing good rather than just selling shit? Yeah, look, I mean, well, fundamentally, we, um, there, there's the industries that are just won't work in. Um, I d- did this interview for the ABC years ago and um, it was all about, you know, virtual reality and so on. And they, I prattled on similar to what I'm doing now. And um, they, out of the 15, 20 minute um, interview that they did with me, the only bit that they used was me saying military and porn. And <laughs> I was just like, oh my God. Yeah, thanks. Sorry. <laughs> Um, yeah, so anyhow, yeah, we won't play in those spaces. The work that we've done that I'm proud of, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm proud of a bunch of different projects. Uh, fundamentally, the the stuff with St. John Ambulance is, is really valuable. We do um, work with an American organization called SocialWise, and they work with young adults and teenagers who are on the autistic spectrum and create scenarios whereby the therapist guides these kids through different everyday situations and using the VR, you play out the scenario and then depending on what choice you make, will either escalate, de-escalate or, or, or just have the situation remain neutral. So it means these kids can go to a party and deal with a drunk guy in VR and work out, well, firstly, how they feel when, when confronted by a drunk guy and then also navigate um, through the virtual reality scenarios how they want to like get get used to it so they don't have the emotional risk that you get in real life mm-hmm. they can do it with their therapist they can then discuss why it made them feel how they did depending on what answer they give either ostracizes them from the group or or has them become embraced within the group and and it's it's kind of like just having a a trial run at, at stuff that others might find you know a little bit tricky but not that hard um, but which these kids find really really problematic uh, so that they're better equipped to deal with those sort of challenges as they move into adulthood and so on mm. so yeah it's good it's good work I like it I mean that's one of many we've done a whole bunch of different stuff yeah I could <laughs> yeah I mean I can see this there are so many cool case studies on the website um the you, you kind of got me thinking about the way that workers the way people in their careers are going to interact with vr and ar moving forward right so it seems like there are these two avenues one of them is to kind of be someone who works in your space in the start beyond kind of environment you you're building and designing and you're educating this um, system on how it's going to um, render the world to people but then there's the there are those of us who will be able to leverage it like yeah. the therapists and trainers. So, yeah, yeah, that's kind of an interesting um, thought that, you know, whether you work in VR or not, you're probably going to need to get familiar with VR. Would you say that's fair? Yeah, look, I, I, I would. I mean, I, I think, like, simply put, like, the beauty of VR is that it, it does two things really, really well. It allows people to experience something that they otherwise wouldn't. 
And with that, it unlocks a whole bunch of um, opportunities for empathy and, you know, shifts in perspective and and under that sort of umbrella sort of concept of emotional intelligence, um, it mm. unlocks emotional intelligence uh, in, in a raft of different ways through the immersive nature of it. The other thing that it's really good at is just um, visualising concepts that help people get familiar with something that they otherwise might find hard if it's just, you know, in written or verbal or um, graphic form. And, and so knowledge generation and sort of speed to proficiency when it's around basic tasks works really, really well as well. So from a training perspective, VR is really effective. I think in terms of where it can work for counsellors and um, people who are in that that field and you know very broadly um is in playing in that emotional intelligence space and then for others who are in that learning and development learning design area then knowledge generation uh yeah okay so you've heard it here the 20 minute e-learning module is dead (laughs) right as if we didn't already know (laughs) yeah 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 that's awesome and so i i mean I'm inferring from that that there's, I mean, one of the questions that that I think people want to know is like, what what do you love so much about it? And you've kind of explained there that that you get a real sense of the value that that this technology can add to the way people can support each other and and learn and grow and experience the world in in a richer, more meaningful way. Is there something else that you love about it that you, like you want to cover off or that you think you know really? Oh, look, I mean, yeah, that that is spot on. I also like the fact that I have the opportunity in the role that I have to help shape the conversation around it as well. So, you know, there's a lot of different conflicting perspectives and thoughts out there about it. And there's big companies wanting to make a buck out of it. And there's a dystopian version of it that that very easily could and potentially will happen. Um, And so I want to as much as I can be a participant in that conversation and and seek to, um, you know, have the goodies win in a really reductive sort of sense of the word. But, you know, um, Meta's got a, a an Australian advisory council and, um, and I'm uh, on that. And that is about looking at policy and looking at how to um, have the metaverse and and within that VR and AR are all sort of bundled in, um, working in a way that isn't that dystopian future. And I kind of feel like you might as well be in the belly of the beast. And if you can be an external party that that goes to Meta and says, "Well, hang on, why are you thinking that's a good idea?" Um, it is valuable. So I I, I mm. appreciate them reaching out to me and asking for me if I was up to being on that council and and they're not promoting that council or anything like that. It's just more, it's an industry advisory board and they've got academics and they've got people who build stuff and, and so on. And I think it's good that they're looking to do it. Um, They, yeah, you know, like it'll be interesting to see how it plays, but at least, yeah, I think part of what I like about being in this role is that, not only the content that we're creating and how that can help people see the world differently, but also being part of the conversation as this technology will become increasingly ingrained in mm. everyday life over the next, you know, 10, 20 years. Mm. So you have sort of answered my next question there about like a little bit about what the future of your career looks like. Um, and you oh. sort of you talk about wanting to shape that future, which is awesome. Yeah. Um, what would... I mean, what would you say is is coming 
that maybe you're not shaping or what would your your Christmas party buddy say is coming in the future? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, look, there's a lot of different thoughts around that. I think that I'm not like my natural instincts are to look at the stepping stones with what we've already got to be able to conclude where we'll be in in the future um and i kind of you know rather than that sort of vision of like you know like blade runner was supposed to have already happened you know like the <laughs> technology and science and humans never work as quickly as we are led to believe and you know virtual reality was supposed to be around you know lawnmower man i think came out in 1991 or disclosure you know all these great <laughs> trashy um 90s films around virtual reality and in, in fact um russell crowe and denzel washington did a film called virtuosity um mm. it was like russell crowe's like second film so anyhow yeah so it's been around for a long time so basically what's going to happen is that um the same way that prior to covid folks were using video conferencing for specific meetings and calls and then everything else was just on the phone and and so on um and then covid hit and then all of a sudden everyone's like every video you know every call is a video call now mm. um what's going to happen is that within virtual reality it, you can have um multiple people in a meeting together in avatar form they all pop on the headsets and they all can chat to each other and what that will become within the next three to five years is standard in your large enterprise businesses they won't use it for everything but they will use it for specific meetings the way that previously they used to use video conferencing and um you will have execs and teams that you know in their weekly catch-up as more and more remote working plays out going okay well you do the one-on-one -on -one like we are now on a, on a two-person zoom because you're making eye contact but the minute you've got like five or six or seven people on zoom it, it sucks because you mm -hmm. can't make eye contact with all those people and it's totally shit so um the way that it plays with the vr headsets is that you can have spatial conversations so everyone is in avatar form they're all in a meta environment a metaverse environment of like a 3d 360 world mm -hmm. and then as you're chatting to one person um you will be able to hear someone else to your right through your right ear and you then turn your head make eye contact with that person and then talk to them and this notion of spatial sound and fluid conversations will become common and mm. the whole point at the moment that everyone's fixated about is that the avatars don't look like real people well in actual fact that's kind of immaterial what you need is people to be able to hear the sound of the other person's voice. And then the mind fills in the gaps and the cartoon version of that person's irrelevant because you know who they are because mm. of the sound of their voice. And that authenticity mm. makes the experience a lot more intimate. And it also means that you're able to have um, brainstorming discussions and, and robust debates where you can actually talk over each other, unlike with Zoom, where it's so staccato, you can't make eye contact with more than one person. You're not even sure that you're making eye contact with them because nine times out of 10, you're looking at yourself anyway. And um, that sort of business just sort of plays. So I think that in, in the short term with the future, that's going to be standard. And mm. yeah, it'll happen very, very quickly. And then off the back of that, there'll be more and more adaptation or adoption at least of of VR headsets to then be used in other facets of training and and so on. And previously they were talking about VR as being a um 
a sort of entertainment piece and it's sort of a consumer piece. In actual fact, the future, I think, particularly in the next five to 10 years, is around it from an enterprise perspective where people will use it for communication, internal comms. Um, they'll use it as a sales tool. They'll use it as a training tool. And uh, through that, it'll gradually infiltrate into the rest of their lives. But um, it'll be primarily as an enterprise piece and it'll work really well in that regard. Okay, and now thinking about um, transitioning into a career in in AR and VR, um, what would you identify are skills that people could transfer across from other industries that would be really well suited to a career in a, in AR and VR? Oh, I love this question. All right, this is a good question. So. Um... Well, okay, so the structure of Start Beyond began as um, three sort of main skill types slash professions. You had agency, which is your sort of um, sales-related um, background, take a client's brief, account management, et cetera. Mm -hmm. You have development, which is, you know, the guys who know how to code and code really, really well. Um, and then you've got the storytellers and, and you know, my background in filmmaking and then online entertainment, et cetera. So mm. there, there and, and, and within the storytellers, I put, you know, people who are working in HR, learning and development, instructional design, they're all storytellers. You know, it's all that thing of, well, here's some boring content. We've got to make it in a way that lands with people and they give a shit. So, um, you know, and the way you do that is through story and um looking at those learning outcomes and working out how you're going to do it. So, yeah, so if you if you fall into any of those broad categories, then I think that there's an opportunity there for you. And people often get fixated on the tech because, you know, but the tech's just one piece of the puzzle. That's just, you know, like if, yeah, I mean, yes, app development and coding is fantastic and that's core to it because that's um, the way that you're articulating these concepts. But, you know, we we have a video production arm that's made up of, you know, 360 filmmakers. We've mm. got writers, um, you know, we've got instructional designers. Uh, and then you've got, you know, your sales and your marketing and, and all the traditional things that you would have in a business, accounts, et cetera. So there's a whole bunch of different angles for folks if they want to get into it. Absolutely. And, um yeah, that's really exciting, I think, to look at it so laterally. And I agree, you're right. I think people often think about tech and panic and think about their own technical expertise. Um, but Mate, I, write, those yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I use a pen and paper to write on my notes. Um, I'm, you know, I'm the, the old school person running a tech company. And the reason why it works is because the people who I'm talking to are like me. They're daunted by the technology. They're fearful of how it might play. They know they kind of need to get on board, but they're kind of like, but, you know, I don't want to look like an idiot. Mm. And and my role is really to say, no, look, man, it's it's fine. Like, this is actually going to help and make life easier and you'll enjoy it. And your ideas are ones that are strong that we can use and have resonate through these different formats, different mm. types of media. Mm. I love that. Okay, so maybe just now to wrap things up because you've given me some like a lovely lengthy chat about the world of AR and VR and your own career history as well. Um, what's something that you 
like to share with other people, some career advice either that you believe in or that someone gave to you that's been most helpful? Uh, well, there's there's a couple of things. One would be, this is fundamentally how I just think, like this is my thing for dealing with life. Um, and it was a thing that I read. It was an artist uh, and he was talking about his building out um, a community in Chicago for his his artist community, but more broadly as well. And and it, it hooked in with a whole bunch of folks who were disadvantaged and um, really looking at, at ways to be able to empower them. And I think he, in the article, said that it was the thing that his mum had always told him or something. Anyhow, after all that hype, it's just really simple, but I really like it. Mm. Um, if you share the pie, the pie gets bigger. Mm. Yep. And that's my whole bag. Like that is, that's how I live my life. Like if you share the pie, the pie gets bigger. Because you don't get smaller by giving shit away. You know, everyone expands, everyone builds. So yeah, whether it's ideas or whether it's just anything, like, I, yeah. So that's fundamentally um, my approach to life. That's a great the piece second of thing that I'd, <laughs> yeah, the, the, the second thing that I'd throw in there was just, you know, knowing from our discussion earlier of, of what Work Pants is about, like for those who are um, in that situation of like, you know, how did I get here and what do I want and, and that sort of wrestle. Um, advice that I was given by a, a career advisor when I, you know, one of those corporate dudes who was actually a really lovely guy really switched on early on um he said to me that i should draw what i wanted my life to look like um mm. in, in five years time and you can't use symbols you have to draw it you have to like you can't just write words of like you know ceo or whatever it might be you have to actually draw it and within that you've got to factor in your personal life you've got to factor in your career you've got to factor in where you want to live you've got to like it has to be essentially a mural of your life in mm. five years mm. and the beauty of having to draw that is you know i'm a terrible drawer but what it does is it unlocks in your brain the things that are most important to you and because of an inability necessarily to be a particularly good drawer it makes people have to think laterally around what those things are that are inside themselves that they're not necessarily fully articulating mm -hmm. and unlike a list it it's not so literal and you can actually sort of operate in that gray but somehow in that gray actually be reflecting what what's going on for yourself so um i i recommend that if, if people are in a state of transition draw draw what you want your life to look like in five years time and it's a really interesting exercise to come back to six mm. months later a year later three years later and do it again like it, it like a picture's never static lives aren't static so yeah that's amazing there's um a lot of career theory talks about um I guess systems theory is really popular with careers and a lot of what we study is about how all of these systems are operating, but they're open to the influence of all the other systems that operate around them. So I love the way you describe this life mural. If you just try and draw a career, it's not really going to be an accurate enough picture unless you put all the other facets of, of your, yeah. your, all the other roles of your life and the, and the context that you're living in as well in, in your picture. So I love that. That's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I always like, you know, when, when hiring new staff and, and working with new team members and so on, I always ask them to do that. Um, 
so that then they're coming into this role having thought about their life holistically because ideally you know if you're hiring someone you want them to be around for five years so you want you want them and yourself to have that visibility around where they want to go and what they want to do and and then you can be working with them on a professional level but also knowing that that professional level is going to be in alignment with what they want to do on a personal level and and then that growth is not limited to the confines of what that role is they've been hired for it's it's opened up to look at all the other facets of life as well that's wonderful what what a happy team you must have (laughs) (laughs) angus thank you so much like uh, you mentioned about um you know sharing the pie and the multiplier effect and really that's what you're doing today is you've given me an hour of your time to just talk about your work with me so that I can share the message with other people and I really really appreciate it oh it's my pleasure Ali. I really enjoyed if you want to know more about augmented and virtual reality check out startbeyond.co if you'd like to know more about Angus's book, you're looking for viewer discretion advised and we'll pop a link to that in the show notes as well. To follow along with what we're up to at WorkPants, you can join us. We are on LinkedIn, Instagram and TikTok and we've also got a newsletter on our website. Thank you so much for listening. See you next time.